Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Daniel. Uh, We're on Daniel chapter 4 tonight, and you'll find that chapter on page 740, and it runs right into 742 of the Pew Bibles, pages 740 through to 742. Um, It is a long chapter. Um, I have toyed with just reading it all. We're not going to read it all. We'll maybe drop out a section in the middle uh, but we are going to read the majority of it. And the reason that we're doing that, the, the reason that we're, we're, we're spending the time reading these long passages of Scripture is because this is God's word to us. And although the stories may seem distant, it's important that we read the Scriptures together. And uh, it's good for us to hear them read in public uh, together like this. So Daniel chapter 4, it starts on page 740, runs over to 742. And I'll t- t- tell you when we're going to drop out and pick up the reading again. So Daniel chapter 4, this is God's word to us. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid as I lay as I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last, Daniel came in before me, he who was named Belteshazzar after the name of my God and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. The visions of my head As I lay in bed were these, I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher, a holy one, came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven, Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw And you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation. But you are able, 
for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. In verse 19, we're told, Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while, and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, My lord, may the dream be for those who hate you, and its interpretation for your enemies. And then from verses 20 down to verse 26, Daniel interprets the king's dream. We'll pick up the reading at verse 27. Daniel says, Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that, they, that, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. All this came upon Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power, as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O king Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, until you know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers, and his nails were like birds' claws. At the end of days I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High, and praised and honoured him who lives forever, for his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, and he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time my reason returned to me, and for the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my lords sought me, and I was established in my kingdom, and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honour the King of heaven, for all his works are right, and his ways are just, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us this evening. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to Daniel chapter 4. And you'll find that passage on pages 740 through to 742 of the Pew Bibles. And we're going to think about it together for a few moments this evening. The reason we read so much of, that, of chapter 4 earlier is that we're going to operate at sort of a, a higher level tonight, sort of 30,000 feet level. Uh, we're not going to cover every detail in this chapter, but we're hopefully going to catch the main point, the, the thrust of the story and see what it says to us this evening. Uh, pages 740 through to 742 of the Pew Bibles. Uh, the, the path that people travel on as they come to know the Lord Jesus Christ is often a very varied one. But coming to know the Lord is the most important thing that any of us can ever do. Uh, people coming to trust the Lord for the first time is the most thrilling part of my job or role. And over the years, I've seen various people come to know Jesus. 
Uh, just this week, I heard of someone I went to school with uh, who has come to know the Lord. Uh, they had gone along to SU with me up until about third year at high school, and then through some life choices and circumstances, they, they ended up going down a very different road. In a post online this week, they shared of how they had come to know Jesus and had trusted in him. I think of another person in a church that I was, invo- in a church that I was involved in who came to, to know the Lord in a very different way. Uh, the lady's husband was converted and he started coming to church. In the end, she started coming too because she didn't want to look bad. In the end, they both ended up coming to a Christianity Explored course through church but before the end of the course, by about week four of it, I think, the lady was sitting, waiting to collect her son from school when she broke down in her car. At that point, the gospel became real to her and she submitted her life to Christ. She turned to him in repentance and faith. All, all, all of our stories are different, the times, the places, the circumstances. While the details aren't the same, the, the, there are similar elements to every conversion to to our coming to know the Lord. We're going to see that tonight as we look at Daniel chapter 4. What we have before us this evening is a story about someone coming to know the Lord. The path that this person has traveled down has been a very different one to anything that we have ever experienced. Daniel 4 tells us about King Nebuchadnezzar coming to trust in God. Now there have been some hints that something like this was going to happen. Back in chapter 1, Nebuchadnezzar takes some of the finest young people in Israel and he relocates them to Babylon. They're educated, indoctrinated, but among them are four faithful Israelites, four young men who know and love the Lord. And as they become integrated into Babylonian culture, God begins to use them. We saw that although Nebuchadnezzar wanted God out of the heart of the exiles, God put them into the heart of Babylon. In chapter 2, God used Daniel to tell Nebuchadnezzar the interpretation of his dream. And having had that mercy shown to him, Nebuchadnezzar promotes Daniel and says very positive things about God. In chapter 2, verse 47, he says, Truly your God is the God of gods and, and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Notice that Nebuchadnezzar says, Your God... At that point, Daniel's God is exactly that, Daniel's God and not Nebuchadnezzar's God. That's clearly shown in chapter 3 as Nebuchadnezzar builds a statue to himself. We looked at that story last week, but how did it end? Well, it ended with Nebuchadnezzar making a decree and saying that anybody who says anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be destroyed. He says that God is the only one who is able to rescue But God is still the God of someone else and not Nebuchadnezzar. All of that changes in chapter 4 though. As you'll see at the beginning of the chapter, Nebuchadnezzar addresses everyone in his kingdom. And at various points in the chapter, he uses the personal word I, I, Nebuchadnezzar. He's speaking to all peoples, nations and languages that dwell in all the earth. And he wants to tell them about the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me, it's very personal language. What we're supposed to imagine or picture here is, is Nebuchadnezzar doing a no holds barred interview. So imagine Harry or, or Meghan sitting on the sofa with, with Oprah, telling everyone about the awful time that they've had. And everyone would have known Nebuchadnezzar. He, he, he would have been as famous 
as Harry and Meghan or the current Prime Minister. He was the most powerful man in the world at this point. He had a fearsome reputation as a warrior and he was also known for being a builder. We're going to mention that in a moment. But Nebuchadnezzar is sitting down to tell everyone everywhere of how he has come to know the Lord. The path that people travel on as they come to know the Lord is, is, is often a very varied one, but there are similar elements to every conversion. And we're going to look at some of those tonight as we look at this chapter together. This story may, may reflect our story, of course. It may be the story of a friend that we're praying for. It might be what lies in the future for you here tonight or for you watching at home. There has been some debate about whether or not this is a genuine conversion, but the story in and of itself points us towards thinking that it is. We will meet Nebuchadnezzar in heaven. And as we look at this story, we're going to use four words to help us see what happened to him. The first word is contented. Our points tonight will, will vary in length. This one is short. Nebuchadnezzar is contented as we begin to read his story. Let's look down at verse 4. It says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. Nebuchadnezzar is content. He's at ease. He wants for absolutely nothing. You can imagine that when he got up in the morning and looked at all that he had achieved, he was greatly pleased. He maybe spoke to himself in the mirror and said, you have done a great job. You are Mr. Successful. One of the things about the Bible is that we come across these kinds of people every so often. So think of Naaman in 2 Kings 5. He was a successful military man. He had power and influence and, and wandered for nothing. Yet he was brought low by the Lord and brought to trust in him. Nebuchadnezzar had, had brought prosperity and security to the land of Babylon. He had successfully invaded another territory and had plundered the spoils of that land. He had taken the cream of the crop out of Israel and he had put them into Babylon. We can also assume that he had brought comfort to his family, his wife, his children, we assume, are living with the best of the best. The best food, the best clothes, the best house. Life is good. He is a successful man. As we think about Nebuchadnezzar, we're surely made to think about the man Jesus spoke of in Luke chapter 12. Do you remember the story that Jesus told? The parable of the rich fool. The story of the successful man who thought that he had the world at his feet. He had been successful in business and was going to throw up another barn without any thought of God. But in the parable, Jesus says that God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared Whose will they be? Now, as we read this story, we need to remember that our world wants us to be like Nebuchadnezzar. Our world tells us this is where you need to get to. You need to get to the top of the heap. The, the, the dream that is, that is held out to us is that, is that through living in this way, one day we'll be able to say, I'm at home in my palace, contented and prosperous. Nebuchadnezzar is contented and prosperous but he is resting on a very shaky foundation and soon everything comes tumbling down. At the beginning of Daniel 4, he is contented, but that doesn't last. The next thing we see is that he is confronted. So look down at verse five. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies and the visions of my head alarmed me. Nebuchadnezzar is secure from armies and enemies 
but he couldn't control what happened when he lay down at night. We know that he has had an issue with dreams before. Chapter 2 tells us all about that. But what's happening here is that God is speaking to him. Nebuchadnezzar is having this dream about a great tree that is chopped down and has its branches, branches stripped and its, and its leaves and fruit scattered. Only the stump remains. We, we, we've read the chapter, so we know the detail. But if we were reading Daniel for the first time, and we talked about doing this last week as well, if we were reading Daniel for the first time, something would be very obvious to us. Nebuchadnezzar is on the run from God. He has been coming into contact with people who know the Lord, but he still hasn't come to the point where he's trusting God. That reminds us that knowing about God, respecting him from a distance, is very different to following him. Nebuchadnezzar is resisting the call of God on his life. He's living with himself at the center of the universe. The opportunity to trust the Lord is there. The opportunity knocks, but he ignores it time and time again. His dream terrifies him. We can see that in the early part of the chapter. Having used Daniel previously, Nebuchadnezzar goes to everyone else apart from Daniel. It's really strange. You'll see in verses 6 and 7, the king tells his dream to the magicians and enchanters and astrologers, but none of them are any use, just like they were no use in chapter 2. Then, verse 8, at last Daniel came in before me. Maybe your story is a little bit like that. You tried everything before coming to Christ. He was a last resort. And it wasn't because you didn't think that he could help you. You knew that he could. You were just afraid of the consequences. Nebuchadnezzar's scrambling around and, and looking desperately for another way to get himself out of his problems. You're perhaps in the middle of a story like that. Now you're, you're desperately, desperately trying to find another way. You know that Jesus can meet your need, but you're you're trying everything else instead of coming to him. You should know that there isn't another way. We can only by, be rescued by Christ. Daniel interprets the dream for the king, but he does so with a heavy heart. You'll see in verse 19 that Daniel is dismayed and his, his thoughts alarm him. D Daniel isn't itching to tell Nebuchadnezzar the bad news about his situation. That, that's really interesting because, because Daniel is an exile. He's being oppressed by Nebuchadnezzar, but he retains some compassion for the man he has come to know. Daniel does interpret the dream for Nebuchadnezzar, and the message is that he is going to be judged. Daniel makes a clear appeal to him in verse 27. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Once again, Nebuchadnezzar is confronted by God. God speaks to him through a dream and then through Daniel. God's warnings to him are, are so gracious. Nebuchadnezzar knows what he should do and what he needs to do. But what is his response? It's to do nothing. And in doing nothing, Nebuchadnezzar is hit with a crisis. That's our, our third word tonight. Contented, confronted, and then a crisis. Verse 28 simply tells us, all this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. Everything that he had dreamed would happen did happen in the end. Verses 29 to 33 give us some of the detail. The camera moves to, to Nebuchadnezzar on the roof of his royal palace it's 12 months on from verse 27. Now, this chapter actually covers a period of eight years. 
But it's a year on since, Nebu- uh, since God had confronted Nebuchadnezzar and things have settled down. And we can surely identify with what happens in those 12 months. You know how it is. You feel the challenge of, of God speaking to you whether, you, whether you're a Christian or not. You put off a response and then you put it off a little bit longer. And the distance between you and the confrontation grows and you begin to feel more at ease. Twelve months down the road and, and Nebuchadnezzar's probably thinking, well, well Daniel was wrong. I, I, I'm going to remain as king and ruler of Babylon There's no judgment coming my way. Verse 30 tells us that the king is looking out on his kingdom and he says this. He says, is this, is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. From where Nebuchadnezzar is standing, he has a brilliant view of his kingdom. And in his kingdom, he had one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. The famous hanging gardens of Babylon. He had the garden built for his wife and presumably Daniel was able to see it and experience it too. As well as creating beautiful gardens, Nebuchadnezzar had also built the outer wall of Babylon. And it was wide enough to allow a chariot driver with four horses attached to it do a U-turn. You can imagine that it was quite a feat and that the wall was quite a wall. But no sooner does Nebuchadnezzar admire his kingdom the following happens. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you and you shall be driven from among men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. Some people have tried to explain what happens to Nebuchadnezzar from a modern scientific point of view, but to do that at this point would be to miss what is actually going on. God is doing this in order to humble Nebuchadnezzar. What happens to Nebuchadnezzar is subtly referred to by Babylonian historians. It's it's not covered in any great detail, But there is reference made to it. So it really happened. Nebuchadnezzar was contented in his palace as master of his kingdom. He was confronted by God and and put off his response to the Lord. And then a crisis came his way. The the final thing we see in this passage is that Nebuchadnezzar is changed. Seven years passed between verses 33 and verse 34. Nebuchadnezzar is humiliated for that period of time. But it's interesting to think about the direction in which he is looking immediately before he's humbled. As he stands on the roof of his palace, he's looking down. He's looking down from a position of pride. He thinks that everybody's life relates to his and that everyone is below him. But there's a whole dimension that he hasn't even considered. He he hasn't looked up. Looking up in the Bible is, is considered as a wise thing to do. So think of, think of Psalm 121. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. It's not that we're looking up to the man upstairs. We should never refer to God like that. But it's more that we're trusting in the one who is sovereign over all things. Nebuchadnezzar eventually becomes this type of person, someone who trusts in the Lord, Look at verse 34. At the end of days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, 
lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honoured him who lives forever. Nebuchadnezzar is a man who has changed. The, the, the bookends of this story are essentially him saying that. He begins the chapter with doxology and he ends the chapter with doxology. Just look at verse 34, verse 37, sorry. It's, it's really the key verse in the whole story. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just and those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Can you imagine watching an interview or a broadcast by Boris Johnson and seeing and hearing it end in this way? Nebuchadnezzar has come to the point where he knows that the God of heaven rules. He knows that God is in charge. He knows that everything he has is from the hand of a merciful God. And he tells the world his story. It's remarkable. But the basic shape of it is not unique. The path that people travel on as they come to the Lord is often a very varied one, but there are similar elements to every conversion. Nebuchadnezzar's journey to faith in the Lord is not dissimilar to others, to, to, to yours perhaps. There was maybe a time when you were content with all that was around you, life was good, life was easy, but then in some way, shape or form, God confronted you and began speaking to you and at that point, a crisis came your way and it, and it brought you to a point where you saw your need of Jesus and you turned to him in repentance and faith and you were changed. The, the thing about all of this is that, is that we, we, we need to remember that Nebuchadnezzar didn't earn his own salvation. He didn't earn his salvation by going through all of his sufferings and difficulties. His suffering brings him to a humble position where he sees his need of mercy. We know how this all works for us. We know what it means for God to save us. We know how God rescues the humble. We know that because we know the rest of the Bible story. We know that 600 years after Daniel, there was another king, King Jesus. And Jesus ruled all there was. He was brought down from the heights to the depths. He could have looked at creation, the universe, and said, Is this not the world I have created for my royal residence by my mighty power? and for the glory of my majesty. Jesus didn't simply create one of the ancient wonders of the world. He created the world itself out of nothing. But instead of exalting himself, he voluntarily humbled himself. Even though he was in very nature God, he humbled himself and became a man. He left the comforts and glories of heaven and came to dwell on earth, a step downwards. But his humbling and coming to earth took him even further, he took on the form of a servant and died a criminal's death on the cross, even though he had done nothing wrong. What greater humbling experience could there possibly be than for the living God to die? But Jesus' humbling was, was not forced upon him because of his pride. It was the opposite. It was a voluntary choice on his part so that he might redeem us from our spiritual pride. The one who, who by right could have exalted himself made himself lower than the angels in order to save us and redeem us. Isn't what Jesus has done for us incredible? He voluntarily did what Nebuchadnezzar did so that we might be in heaven. Nebuchadnezzar's humiliation is, is glossed over in Babylonian history. 
there's no way for the historians to explain it. It's awkward history for them because it detracts from the greatness of the nation. But Jesus' humiliation, think about that for a moment. Well, it's proclaimed in the nations. It's the story of the great king who has come down. And without this story, we have no hope. There is no other way for us to be rescued. Where do we stand tonight in terms of this story? There's something very interesting about Nebuchadnezzar's journey to faith. Back in chapter 3, he, he makes this big statue. And in 3.7, it tells us that all the people's nations and languages fell down and worshipped the golden image Nebuchadnezzar had created. Nebuchadnezzar demanded people worship his idol in chapter 3. But by chapter 4, he wants everyone everywhere, all the people's nations and languages, to hear how the Lord has rescued him. He might might have put it, as we can, in the words of the hymn writer, what a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. I have light in my soul for which I I have long sought since Jesus came into my heart. And the thing is, just as we can sing that song now, so we will sing an even greater song in eternity. In Revelation 7, we read of God's redeemed people being gathered together. And what does John say? After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Well, one day all peoples, tribes, and languages will bow before the Lamb. The question is, will you be part of that group? Of the group who, having trusted Jesus in this life, will spend eternity with him in the next. The path that people travel on as they come to the Lord Jesus Christ is often a very varied one. But coming to know the Lord is the most important thing that any of us can ever do. Where do we stand before the Lord tonight? In what direction are we looking? Are are we only looking down? Down at the things of this world, down at things we can achieve in this life, down at the relationships we can have. Are we forgetting to look up? Are we trying to content ourselves? We should know that there's no fruit or hope in that. We need to look up to the Lord. We need to trust him. We need to see ourselves before the great God of heaven and earth, the the sovereign one, the all-powerful one. And what the gospel tells us is that when we do that, as we do that, as we look to him in repentance and faith, he delights to show mercy. He delights to write our stories in his book. One final illustration. There will be no quadruple this year. There will also be no cup treble. I'm sure all the Liverpool fans here tonight are disappointed. I'm not going to pretend that I am. But one of the things that happens in major finals is once the final whistle has been been blown and the winner of the cup decided, the camera cuts to someone working very hard and very quickly. It cuts to someone engraving the name of the winning team on the cup. Champions League winners 2021-2022, Real Madrid, huzzah. It's engraved in the cup. Can't be wiped out, it's permanent. 
The path that people travel on as they come to the Lord Jesus is often a very varied one. But having turned to the Lord in repentance and faith, we can be sure that our salvation is permanent because our names, along with those of others who have trusted the Savior, will be written down, will be engraved in the Lamb's Book of Life. Where do you stand before the Lord tonight? Daniel 4 may reflect your story. It may be the story of a friend that you're praying for. It might be what lies in the future for you here tonight or for you watching at home. If I can help you in any way, if, if you have questions about what it means to trust the Lord, what it means to become a Christian, know that I would love to talk to you because people coming to trust the Lord for the first time is the most thrilling part of my job or role. The path people travel on as they come to the Lord Jesus Christ is a very varied one. But coming to know the Lord is the most important thing that any of us can ever do. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that you would be at work in our hearts tonight by your Spirit. We pray that as those who have trusted in the Lord Jesus, you would help us to live faithfully for him. But we pray especially for those who haven't yet trusted in the Savior. And we pray that you would do a work of grace tonight. We realize that the road that we travel on, the path that we travel on as we come to you can be very different and, and very varied. But we thank you that you are the Savior who delights to welcome people into your family. And we know from this story that coming to know you is the most important thing that any of us can ever do. So we pray that by your spirit, you might be at work in hearts and lives in our meeting house tonight, through the online live stream, and in our district in the days ahead, so that men and women and boys and girls might come to trust the Savior for the first time. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' saving and powerful name. Amen.